And we are back. Welcome to another episode of IoT This Week. I'm your host, Craig Smith. So we've been on a bit of a hiatus here lately for the last few months. Well, actually nine months, uh, if you really want to count it. Um, just had some other things going on. Needed to catch up with those things. And uh, now I'm going to get back to the podcast. So I'm changing the format just a bit. We're still going to be focused on IoT. However, I'm going to add some... Uh, topics from just general InfoSec in addition to security that's related to IoT. And then also we're going to add some topics as it relates to technology since I'm a bit of a tech addict myself. So I think we've got some uh, good topics for you today. Um, and then going forward, we'll be kind of following this format as well. I'm also going to be adding some more um, videos to the podcast. I've done videos occasionally in the past, but I'm going to try to start doing one some kind of video that kind of goes along with uh, whatever the topics might be for a podcast and add a video for each podcast going forward. So with that, um, let's go ahead and get started. So first up on the docket today, I just wanted to mention a buddy of mine, his his first book that he's published, uh, which is really cool. So Daniel Meisler just published a book on Amazon. It's called The Real Internet of Things. Um, it's definitely, definitely worth checking out. I think it's only like 10 bucks. Uh, it's a quick read. Um, I won't get into the details. I'll let you guys read it for yourself, but basically it's just got some great insights to, um, future things as he sees it, that, uh, might be occurring in, uh, the world of IOT. But again, it's really some really good ideas and, uh, insights into that. So, uh, definitely check that out. All right. So continuing the, uh, IOT theme. So apparently the acting head of the FTC, the federal trade commission, um, she thinks that the IOT industry should be left to regulate itself. So my only response to that is, um, yeah, that, uh, that should work out well. Um, I mean, it's not like we haven't seen, uh, numerous wireless router manufacturers, um, put vulnerable devices out of the market or when they're actually identified to be vulnerable, they actually don't even bother trying to fix them. Um, or they take months and months or years to actually fix them. Um, the other thing we've seen is um, webcams. No, just a huge number of webcams out there that are basically you know, full of vulnerabilities. They allow people to remotely spy on whoever's actually purchased the camera. So, I mean, the she's basically, in the article, she basically says that um, nothing really bad has happened in IoT, so why does it need to be regulated? So she apparently you know, kind of skipped over those two examples. There's also the Mirai botnet. So obviously that was a bad one. So that's a whole lot of what can go wrong with IoT when there's not any security controls in place. So I'm not sure where she's getting all this um, uh, justification to say that the IoT industry needs to be self-regulated. Um, but yeah, I don't. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just beyond me how in the world um, somebody there at that position could actually, uh, you know, even think that that needs to be regulated. Not that that doesn't need to be regulated. Now, I'm not a big proponent of, you know, government regulation all the time, but sometimes it, you sometimes manufacturers need a little push because at least in IoT, they've proven that they're not going to put any security in place unless somebody makes them because basically the there's no benefit in them really from a profit standpoint to put security in there. Um, I mean, just look at the uh, PCI compliance, for example, like for uh, credit card, uh, people who take credit cards and so forth. Um 
they probably wouldn't do anything if it wasn't for the requirements that they had to meet um, along the PCI compliance guidelines. And they, and even then, when they meet those guidelines, they're really, I mean, the guidelines are really meant to be a baseline, not just like the gold standard and like here you meet it and everything's good, but just trying to get them to actually even meet the minimum PCI compliance baseline is a, is, it's a challenge. So again, um, not sure what other people think about that, but for myself, I don't, I don't think that, um, maybe IOT doesn't need to be regulated, you know, 20 years into the future or whatever, but at least there should be some regulation, I think, just to get things started and at least try to get manufacturers on the right track. Cause at this point there's really, I mean, IOT, they, they're, you know, there's not a lot of profit margin in these things. So there's really absolutely no incentive for manufacturers to put security in place unless somebody's actually going to tell them to. So if it's not going to be the FTC, then yeah, I don't really know who it's going to be. Um, but yeah, very interesting. And then next up, we've got the story regarding standard, it's a company called Standard Innovation Corporation. So they're the maker of, we'll just call them sexual aids. Um, but apparently they settled a lawsuit for 3.75 million, um, which was over data privacy issues. So apparently the, the short story is that, um, people who bought these devices, their personal information, like, um, date and time when they use the device, um, their device settings and email addresses were being sent back to company servers. Um, and I think the company servers were actually in Canada if I, if I remember correctly. Um, but, uh, I mean, one of the, one of the thoughts I had when I first read this story was that sometimes I think these companies, they basically just try to, they see what they can get away with. If they can collect everything and get away with it, that's awesome. Um, but then I think they just, they basically try to try to get away with it as long as they can until they get caught. Of course, the downside is if they lose a lawsuit, then whether they actually have made that much money off these devices or not, uh, who knows? So it may have ended up costing them more money than what they're making. Um, but either way, they still got sued for and lost the lawsuit for uh, almost $4 million. So another, you know, another warning, if we're not going to have any regulation, maybe that's what it's going to come down to is companies are just going to have to constantly be sued um, before they'll actually start um, thinking about security when they uh, sell IoT devices, whatever it might be. And then continuing in the IoT space, so as we all know, you know, IoT devices, everybody's jumping on board with that. So even, and one of them you hear a lot about these days is, you know, what kind of security is around devices that are related to healthcare. So there was an article that actually had a, a list of examples of IoT devices in healthcare. And I thought this was pretty interesting because some of these things I actually hadn't thought of. Um, but just to give the rundown of the quick list, um, Insulin, insulin delivery, that seems like an obvious one. Um, glucose monitoring, um, activity tracker during cancer treatment. So I guess that was to see, you know, what kind of um, activity the patient was going through while they were undergoing uh, cancer treatment. Connected inhalers, um, I guess something along the lines of maybe like asthma inhalers or something like that. Um, ingestible sensors, um, even connected contact lenses, which actually sounds kind of cool if they were able to like display stuff on the contact lenses that you could like see um a depression fighting apple watch app apparently um coagulation testing um arthritis um using apple's research kit um which actually i hadn't even 
didn't even realize that Apple had a research kit, but uh, that sounds interesting. Um, then also they were using um, IoT devices in healthcare to do Parkinson's research. So again, 10 interesting examples of just some of the things that uh, we're seeing from IoT in uh, healthcare. So next up, we have a study put together by Trip, Tripwire um, where they actually were, um, I guess, looking at in industrial Internet of Things and um, conducting some kind of survey with security professionals um, to see, I guess, what they thought about, um, uh, I guess, what, what the landscape looked like as far as like cyber, cyber attacks against industrial Internet of Things devices. So part of this, some of the numbers from the survey, 96% um, of IT security professionals expect an increase in cybersecurity attacks against IIoT. Um, I mean, honestly, that doesn't seem like it's a big revelation um, since the more, the larger the number or the more devices you actually put out there for something like that, obviously the footprint for attacks increases and then its footprint, footprint increases and the attacks are going to go up. I mean, it's just like the more IoT devices out are out there, um, the more cybersecurity attacks you're going to actually see against those things. So I don't know that that's a huge revelation. Um, now, the other some of the other numbers that came out of that, 51% um, said they do not feel prepared for attacks, um, which that's probably about right. Um, then also 64% understand they need to protect against attacks. So one of the things actually that occurred to me when I was reading that, I wonder how much of the 64% who understand they need to protect against attacks actually aren't willing to or even able to prepare for attacks. Um, so anyway, the I guess the gist of this thing is, um, yeah, Internet of Things, industrial Internet of Things, um, as far as security goes, I think they're just still generally in a in a bad way. So, um, yeah, we'll see if that improves in the future, or maybe the people will be pre better prepared for attacks, or or some, something will come along to set some kind of standard or something like that. Um, but actually, speaking of standards, um, this one's interesting. Um, Consumer Reports um, is actually going to start rating product privacy and security. So that's kind of interesting. I mean, obviously, Consumer Reports, lots of people go there to look at their reviews for, you know, whatever product it might be. Um, but if they're going to start um, reviewing um, Internet-connected devices or smart devices or whatever you want to call them, um, I think that'll really add some uh, benefit to the people who read these reports that they can actually, you know, look at the whatever product they want to review and if consumer reports has got a security rating or of some sort or something on there that just gives people an idea. I mean, that's way better than what we've got now, but currently their standard. Um, I mean, it's pretty light right now. Uh, it's just some basic things. I mean, like products should be built secure. I mean, there's some obvious, you know, obvious things here. Products should pervert, preserve consumer privacy. Products should protect the idea of ownership. Um, I think that one might go along the lines of, um, I'm not completely sure, but I don't know if that goes along the lines of, in the past, you've heard like owners of John Deere tractors that are, a lot of these tractors are software driven now, that the, that the um, farmers that buy these tractors can't even work on their own tractor because apparently the John Deere claims that the software is owned by them, it's copyrighted and all that stuff. So that particular you know product should protect the idea of ownership might go along with that. Um, then also companies should act ethically. 
So again, this will be great if you know if Consumer Reports can get some uh, get a foothold in this and actually start doing this for as many connected products as they can. Um, I think this would be fantastic. And then if we uh, you know talking uh, or discussing what I just mentioned earlier about um, the FTC, they're the current head of the FTC, not thinking that um, IoT needs some kind of regulation. Um, here's another example if you need a reason why. I think at least in the beginning there needs to be some kind of regulation. Um, the WD My Cloud, um, which is a hard drive um, storage device, which actually I think you can connect up to Western Digital's cloud. You can copy stuff that have basically have kind of like your own personal cloud. Um, basically, there's like a ton of flaws that came out I don't know, last week or a couple of weeks ago. Um, which basically, unless they've um, announced a fix for a lot of these things, um, or there's an updated firmware package or something like that, basically it sounds like the only thing you do is unplug the thing. Um, and again, this is another one where some researchers actually, you know, try to disclose to Western Digital that hey, this thing's got a, some vulnerabilities or whatever, and they basically gave Western Digital like 90 days to respond, and they didn't, and then um, these things got released to the public. So again. Um, whether or not uh, Western Digital was actually in the process of trying to fix these or what, it doesn't, from the article at least, it sounds like um, either Western Digital is just kind of um, ignoring this or refusing to fix it or whatever. But again, if you've got a WD Western Digital Mic Cloud, um, you might want to check the link in the show notes and then have a look on the in the article. It actually has which firmware versions are vulnerable. Um, so if you've got one of these, you definitely want to see if there's a fix for it or an updated uh, firmware version or simply turn it off. And then, last but not least, under IoT, uh, we have a company called MooCall. Um, that's right, MooCall, M-O-O-C-A-L. So they um, they make devices that uh, connect cows. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so we've got connected uh, cows now. Um, basically, they've got a device that actually connects to the cow's tail, and they can actually use this device on, um, I guess, pregnant cows uh, when they're in the process of birth um, to make sure the uh, birth is going okay, which actually doesn't sound like a bad idea, um, you know, take care of the cows and so forth. Um, but the, apparently the device is actually connected via a SIM card, so I'm guessing it's connected via some kind of cellular network. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, connected cows uh, from Mucol. Okay, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, I'm adding a couple other, uh, I guess, categories um, in the podcast um, in addition to IoT topics. So we'll move on to InfoSec, information security. Uh, so the first thing I wanted to bring up, um, it's kind of, it's not really a story. Um, so one of the things I do see a lot of um, when it relates to Linux firewalls, I see lots of lists of Linux firewalls. One of the things I never actually see mentioned um, I think this used to be mentioned a lot more. Maybe, maybe it doesn't get mentioned as much anymore because it got bought by Sophos. But um, Astaro, um, which got bought by Sophos, um, they actually have home um, versions of their software, their firewall software um, that you can use for free. Um, so there's there's a couple of them that Sophos has that are actually free. There's the I think there's the older version. Um, which is along the lines, I think it's a lot of it's based on legacy Astaro stuff, which is the Sophos UTM. Uh, but they've got a new one. It's the Sophos XG firewall, which I think is their latest version of their firewall. But there's a home edition of that. If you're looking into Linux firewalls uh, or looking to bring up your own firewall, definitely have a look 
um, at the sofa stuff. I mean, I've been using that for a while. I've been using it since it was a Starro. Um, it's great stuff. I mean, it's a long, I mean, they're basically the commercial grade firewalls that you can use it, use for free at home. Um, again, if you're going to look at, uh, putting up your own firewall home, definitely check that out. And then our next story under InfoSec, um, it's a story about, uh, Bitcoin. So if you don't know what Bitcoin is, um, well, you've probably been maybe living under a rock for the last several years. Um, but it's basically cryptocurrency, virtual currency. Um, but anyway, why I've got it under InfoSec, it's one of the supporters of Bitcoin Core uh, basically threatened to release zero days um, because there's a there's a bit of a feud going on in Bitcoin right now. Um, there's a Bitcoin Bitcoin Core, which is the original um, group uh, when Bitcoin started. Um, there's also a group called Bitcoin Unlimited. Um, this basically all stems from the transaction fees. So without getting into a big explanation of what Bitcoin is and all this stuff. So basically there's transaction fees. Um, whenever you move Bitcoin around, basically, which kind of determines on how fast um, your transactions get confirmed. Um, but right now, apparently there's a huge backlog of transactions. Um, and, order, and now because there's such a huge backlog, um, you actually have to increase the fees whenever you do a Bitcoin transaction if you want to actually that transaction confirmed in a timely manner. Um, and it's got to do, the backlog's got to do with the original Bitcoin core um, basically has a hard limit on the amount of transaction data that can be um, passed. Um, but the Bitcoin Unlimited folks actually, they want to use their version of it, which doesn't have, or it has, doesn't have any transaction limits or it has higher ones, I forget. Um, but the problem is they're actually talking about hard fork. And if you don't know what hard forking is, um, basically the if Bitcoin Unlimited hard forked, it would basically mean there were two different Bitcoins, which would probably in the end would just be bad for everybody. Uh, but anyway, uh, the short story is um, somebody who supports Bitcoin Core, you know, they've basically been looking for zero days in the Bitcoin software, and they're basically threatening to release zero days Um if either Bitcoin Core moves to unlimited, Bitcoin Unlimited, or it basically just hard forks. So, yeah, I don't know. That's going to be um, whether they're actually zero days or not, or if it's just a threat, I don't know. But either way, there probably is something in there because there's usually some kind of vulnerability in just about every piece of software. But um, it's kind of sad the way, I mean, Bitcoin's still very popular. The price is still way up. I think at one point it was actually a single Bitcoin was worth more than actually an ounce of gold. Um so it's still, there's still lots of value in it and people still use it. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the feuding going on, plus there's, you know, the threatening, you know, zero day vulnerabilities and all that stuff. Um, hopefully it just, hopefully it doesn't, all this isn't detrimental to Bitcoin in the long run. And then I thought this uh, next story was uh, pretty interesting. Um, well, it's not so much a story, but basically it's kind of a list of five things to know about the NSA's foreign surveillance. Um, so it's got to like, yeah, obviously it's got five things and they give a little explanation on each one of them. Um, first one is what is, what is section 702 surveillance? Um, the surveillance approval process prospects for extending section 702. And again, this is all about foreign surveillance, um, backdoor searches of us communications, um, which if you don't know what that is, basically they're kind of using, so they collect foreign surveillance, um, 
probably more times than not, they they probably like kind of like um, they end up capturing communications of uh, U.S. citizens in the process, and because they've captured that, uh, already captured the foreign surveillance, which just happens to catch a U.S. citizen communication in there as well. You know, now they can go and kind of just start poking around the U.S citizens um, communications and see what they can find in that as well. So like I said, it's kind of a backdoor search of um, U.S. citizens communications. Um, and then the last one is expansive collection of foreign communications. Again, pretty interesting um, read under each one of those explanations. Um, but yeah, if you've ever wanted to kind of had a, wanted a basic understanding of um, NSA's foreign surveillance, have a look at that. And then our last story under InfoSec, and this one actually goes kind of along the lines of just kind of baffles you, um, just like the um, current head of the FTC saying that IoT didn't didn't need to have any regulation at this point. Um, basically, the FBI director, current FBI director, apparently, um, he, in a quote, he, what he said was, even our memories are not absolutely private in America, um, which is, again, it's just... Um, you know, unless this was taken completely out of context, and there's some other stuff that goes along with this, along with his what he said, um, yeah. Again, it's just a little baffling of the statement. Um, it kind of, and it's kind of worrisome as well. Um, we kind of reaching this attitude where you know security trumps everything at this point, even privacy. Um, I mean, I'm sure at some point those technology will come up to where they can dig around in our heads and go through our memories, whether we like it or not. Um, but either way, um, still kind of ridiculous that, uh, we just think nothing's off limits. And I mean, it even brought up examples like, um, normally what we consider, um, privileged communications in the United States, which is like communications between, you know, like yourself and a clergy member or yourself an attorney typically, or, you know, your doctor, um, typically that's considered privileged information, um, which isn't allowed to anybody to see, but, he even says that's not even off limits now. I guess again under the um, guise of hey, we need to do all this because of you know security. Um, um, and then the other thing he mentioned too, um, he actually mentioned that uh, the popularity of encryption. He blamed the popular popularity of encryption on Snowden. Um, so that might be true to some extent. Maybe people, you know, saw, oh, hey, yeah, look at all this stuff that they're looking for. I better use encryption. But, I mean, people were using encryption long before that. So, yeah, trying to blame Snowden for all that, uh, it's just a little ridiculous. All right. And then on to technology. So this is one of the things I really wanted to add to the podcast because there's so much just interesting things in technology in general, you know, um, regardless. I mean, it could be a lot of it's IoT. Um, I mean, but it's just a lot of technology in general that's interesting. Um, so the first one up is, um, it's an article from hackaday.com. So if you've never actually looked at that site, do have a look at that. They've got some really, especially if you're into like building your own devices, that sort of thing. They're really, they really have a lot of good information and it's just a really cool and cool site in general, um, in regards to, uh, various technologies. Um, but the first one um, I have on here, the article is about ground loops. So if you've ever wondered what ground loops are, and I mean, this is electrical ground loops, ground loops, um, do have a look at the article. Um, I mean, basically what a ground loop is, it's easy for you to say, um, 
you have two separate devices that are connected to a ground separately, uh, but then there's also a connection in between those two devices that's also, and typically that's like some kind of cable or whatever, that also includes a ground wire. Um, the thing with this, though, is that um, in a ground loop, the, there's lots of things that can, it can cause problems from like audio hum. Um, it can cause like interference or bars in a TV picture. Um, there's also other things like just flat out unexplained equipment failure. So if you ever have, you know, if you have like electronics, you've got like a hum or something else is going on, you might want to check and see the ground loops because apparently that's, they're responsible for a lot of um, irritating issues in electronics these days. Um, because people just realize, don't realize they're actually happening. Um, and then the next story is about a burger flipping robot, um, that apparently joined the workforce. So there's a, uh, restaurant out in California. I'm assuming it's called Cali burger. Um, and the burger flipping robot, actually its name is called flippy and it's actually AI driven. Um, but I gotta tell you, um, uh, I think I kind of like that idea idea because I, would probably trust uh, just a burger flipping robot um, as opposed to, you know, the teenager that's working in the local McDonald's who's making a minimum wage and really doesn't care about anything um, or trying to do a good job at it. So anyway, um, yeah, we're seeing burger flipping robots show up in the workforce. So this should very, uh, should be interesting, you know. And then uh, Nest, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people know what Nest is. I mean, their biggest thing is their uh, thermostats um, that, they, that they came up with, um, their smart thermostats. So supposedly they're going to, going to be releasing a cheaper version of their thermostat next year sometime. Um, so if you have these thermostats, I mean, I actually have two of these things, and I actually love them, but I actually didn't buy either one of them. Um, I'm not sure I actually would pay money because the ones I have there are about 250 bucks a piece, which is quite a bit of money to pay for a, you know, AC or heater thermostat. Um, so it's kind of, kind of good to see that they're bringing the price down. Um, but either way, I think the cost with that, the cheaper thermostat, I think is supposed to be around 200 bucks. Um, you know, I don't know. I guess it depends on. Yeah, I, guess, I guess it depends on your view, but that still seems like rather it's it's rather expensive for a thermostat in my mind. Um, especially, I mean, it's a thermostat, um, and it's kind of hard to tell. Probably, well, I don't know. I don't know how hard it. I don't know how hard, easy, or hard or easy it would be to actually tell whether you're actually saving that much money using one of these thermostats or not. Um, it's kind of hard to tell for me because I work from home and I'm here all the time. So during, especially during the summertime, my AC is running all the time. So whether it actually saves me any money by having one of these more expensive thermostats, I don't really know. Uh, but anyway, um, if you're looking to have a Nest thermostat um, next year sometime, which I know that's a ways away, uh, apparently they're going to have a cheap one uh, coming up. And then Netflix. So I thought this was interesting. Uh, apparently um, homes that only have Netflix, the kids... Um, most of the kids in these Netflix only homes have no idea what commercials are, which I thought was just completely cool because I simply, I hate commercials. I hate watching the, I hate, hate having to watch them. Uh, one of the things, um, from back in the day, you know, you, back in the way back in the day when there was only three channels to watch and everything was over the air. Okay. I can, I can understand commercials at that point. Um, but now everything's basically through some kind of cable company. So you're already paying a subscription. 
So in the end, you're kind of already, you're paying for your own commercials. You know, a lot of the shows, an hour show now these days, especially at least in the U.S., um, you know, an hour show is 20 minutes worth of commercials, which is just unbelievably um, infuriating. So anyway, I thought that was kind of cool that, um, you know, Netflix only homes, the kids absolutely have no idea. Most of the kids, um, I think it was like 80 something percent have no idea what commercials are, which if you're a parent, it's probably pretty good because your kid's not constantly seeing like cereal commercials and toy commercials and wanting to buy stuff. Um, so yeah, pretty cool. And then finally, um, just to start to wrap up the podcast, just a few random things um, that I just want to throw out there. So if you're into sci-fi um, and you haven't actually realized this is already there, um, the, on the Sci-Fi channel, um, there's the uh, show called The Expanse. Um, definitely check that thing out. Um, I know sci-fi usually makes crappy shows, but um, this is actually a good one. Um, then also, I'm also reading the books at the same time. And I think the show is actually based off um, several different books. <coughs> um, but the books are excellent as well. Um. Like I mentioned in the earlier in the podcast, I'm on, I'm going to start making um, some IoT specific videos. Um, just more more than I did the last time around. I, I was making some occasionally, um, but I'm going to start putting some more of those out. And then I'm also going to start adding some additional code and so forth um, to add some features in the FirmWalker. So that'll be coming up. That's actually out on uh, GitHub. Um, if you're looking for your own personal logging solution, um, I mean, there's lots of things out there. If you can get you a license for Splunk or something like that, obviously Splunk's a, you know, great thing to have for logging. Um, if you want something online that's in the cloud, well, Splunk's got a cloud version, um, but a lot of that's kind of expensive. If you're looking for something that's a little cheaper, um, logly.com, that's actually what I'm using for logging things like my uh, honeypot um, VMs and stuff like that um, to capture all that stuff um, to uh, logly.com, L-O-G-G-L-Y.com. Uh, I guess it depends on how much you want money you want to spend on it. I'm spending about 80 bucks a month on it, which isn't too bad given what I'm, what I'm getting. I'm actually, I've got the regular logging. Um, you can search it. Um, they hold seven days. Um, there's alerting involved, so that's really cool. So like if, you know, log into my website or whatever, it automatically alerts me through email and text um, that, hey, somebody's logged in, or if somebody's trying to, like, brute force the login page or whatever like that, you can be alerted to stuff like that. Um, then also one of the other things I have is that all of the logs are actually backed up to uh, Amazon S3, which is really cool. Um, and then the last thing I'll mention is OpenDNS Umbrella. Um, if you've seen the news lately, um, a lot of the, a lot of the malware, malware out there is starting to use DNS, um, for command and control. Um, cause, and that's pretty obvious because a lot of the firewalls aren't blocking DNS because obviously block DNS, then, you know, basically the internet doesn't work. Um, so because of that, they're actually starting to use, um, making calls out to their command and control centers for, or over DNS. But anyway, for open DNS umbrella, it's actually for DNS monitoring. So if you're like browsing the web or whatever, and you're about to, you know, go visit some site that's um, been flagged as malware, malware, um, then the open DNS umbrella piece will actually block it from actually going there. So 
the other thing it's cool for, like if all of us, I mean, if you get malware on something, you don't know it. Um, you can actually look at the, the portal for open DNS and actually see that, Oh, Hey, this thing, you know, you've got some device on the network. It's actually trying to go out and talk to, um, some malware or whatever, uh, malware command and control. Um, but get, but again, it's, it's whether you want to spend the money on that or not, but I just think, um, DNS monitoring is one of those things that it's going to need to be, uh, more prevalent, um, whether it's for personal use or business use, just because of the way, um, uh, malware is starting to work these, these days. All right. So that is the show for this week. Again, um, glad to be back with everybody. Um, and get the show going again, again, there'll be some videos and so forth coming down the road. Um, but I can be contacted at um, on Twitter at CraigZ28 or the email address um, podcast at iotthisweek.com. Um, if there's any questions or suggestions for the show, um, please, please feel free to re- reach out. All right, um, that's it for the day, and we'll see you next week.